Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today, I am discussing the case of missing teen Cassie Compton. Cassie's case was brought to my attention earlier this year through a viral video on TikTok from the account Plush1, Plush2. The woman who runs the account explains that she saw a video on Facebook earlier in the day and it just didn't sit right with her. This video showed a young woman with dark brown hair and two black eyes sitting in the back of a car with two other males. The person filming appears to be in another car next to the vehicle, but both car windows are down. It looks like they were possibly at a stoplight, but the girl is just staring into the camera and looks a little dazed. Here is the audio from that video. Oh, no. <laughs> Good one. Plenty of X. He ready to have plenty of shit. <laughs> Somebody pray for her. I know that a lot of this audio is difficult to make out, but of course, when one male voice talks about praying for the girl, people were understandably concerned. So I absolutely get why this went crazy viral on TikTok. Videos like this are exactly the type of videos that get a ton of shares and comments. At first, the video was being shared in hopes of just finding this woman and making sure that she was okay. But pretty quickly, people began commenting that the young woman looked a lot like a missing teenage girl from Arkansas named Cassie Compton. And to be fair, the physical similarities are staggering when you do a side-by-side -side comparison. The nose is so similar, and so is her upward-turned smile. Soon, the video went from being viral on social media to being talked about by every major news outlet. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us for Fox 16 News at 530. I'm Donna Terrell. I'm Kevin Kelly, but today, a lot of twists and turns, sparking a federal investigation into a TikTok video. Fox 16's Mitch McCoy joins us live of how all of this happened and what we know about that video. Mitch. Well, Kevin and Donna, good evening to you both. It started early this morning, a video quickly being shared on social media. Take a look at these photos right here. On the left-hand side, a still image from that viral TikTok video, a young woman dazing into the camera. It did not take long before many started speculating on if the woman is Stuckart native Cassie Compton, who's been missing since 2014. FBI Little Rock has launched an investigation to determine who the woman is and if it's Cassie. Late today, a new video surfacing on social media. Now, I actually went deep down the rabbit hole on this one. And when they announced that it wasn't Cassie in the video, I, along with millions of other people, were left wondering, who is this other woman and is she okay? After all, she had two black eyes and it looked like she could have been drugged. 
but soon the woman was identified as Haley Grace Phillips through her friends and family coming forward on social media. They explained that she is over the age of 18, but they hadn't heard from her in a while, and were obviously pretty concerned after seeing this video. Her father also stated that he was going to file an official missing persons report. And, like people do, they rushed over to Haley's social media accounts to figure out what was going on and again to make sure that she was okay. And I was absolutely one of those people. And much to our astonishment, Haley actually went live on Instagram. I understand there's a video going around TikTok and Facebook and people are genuinely concerned. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to explain the situation and let everybody know I'm safe and I'm fine. And if I was in danger, I wouldn't have a problem reaching out. There's a Facebook group about me I don't even have. I don't even have Facebook. You don't want to add me, but you steady want to be on my live commenting. I'm just saying. A Snapchat's live, so get out of here with your unnecessary ass comments. You sound stupid, bitch. <clears throat> yes, I've seen the fucking video. I just got jumped. I was freaked the fuck out. I'm little. I'm 110 pounds. Okay? Two... Big ass girls come fucking bombarding me like I have two bags in my hands. How am I gonna defend myself? It would they just rushed me It was crazy. Yeah, I was fucking struck Look Hella fucking rude whatever if you don't like my attitude, I don't give a fuck. You don't gotta be watching my shit There were over 5,000 people watching that live stream and she ends up saying some pretty controversial and defensive things. So I wanted to cut it there. But in addition to telling us that she was safe and the reason that she had the black eyes was because she was in a physical altercation with two girls, she did go into more detail about the viral video and said that the people in the car were her friends and said she wasn't on drugs. But that she was angry that she was being filmed, so that's why she was glaring at the camera like that. To be totally honest, even after directly interacting with her on one of her live streams, I was left unsure and worried. People were speculating about her looking off to the side as if someone was watching and possibly instructing her. They speculated that she was giving hand signals, asking for help. People were pretty much analyzing every single thing she did in these videos. But she made several posts and did several live videos reiterating that she was fine and asking people to leave her be. She also said that she was connecting with police and FBI to confirm that she was not Cassie Compton. And the FBI did officially confirm that the video was ultimately unrelated to Cassie's case. So I left it at that. But I'd be lying if I said I didn't go check on Haley Grace Phillips' account every once in a while to make sure that she's still okay. After all of this, Haley gained thousands of followers and changed her Instagram account to reflect that she is now a public figure. She also created a TikTok account with a bio that reads, quote, Los Angeles, I'm not missing, end quote. She was also featured on almost every major news station as the woman who was not Cassie Compton. It seemed like the whole world was fascinated with this story. 
But at the end of all of this, I couldn't help but feel bad for Cassie Compton and those who loved her. Most of the news coverage focused on how viral the video went, and how the girl with the black eyes was okay, with just a small blurb about Cassie. And after this pop in media coverage for Cassie's case, it died down again. I cannot imagine being one of Cassie's loved ones through that experience. Going through the hope that it could actually be her and the realization that it was not had to have been heartbreaking. And to be honest, Cassie's case is pretty crazy and shocking. There are conflicting statements, a stepfather figure imprisoned for conspiracy to commit capital murder, and more. So I was really surprised that it didn't get more in-depth coverage after getting so much attention. And the bottom line is that Cassie deserves coverage and justice. I couldn't just let her get left in the shadow of this viral video. So this is the case of Cassie Compton. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. I like that you can play totally alone, or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day, or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Cassie was born on December 4, 1998, to her parents Judy and Roy. She does have a sister named Tanya and a brother named Chris. But I wasn't able to find much about Cassie's upbringing. However, one thing to note about Cassie's family is a situation involving Cassie's mother Judy and her sister Tanya. This goes way back to before Cassie was even born. But considering what we will learn about Cassie's case later in the episode, I do think it's important to mention. So again, before Cassie was born, there was an incident in which Judy took a plea deal in relation to charges against someone else for Tanya being mistreated in some way. The details here are vague, but this plea resulted in Judy being listed as a sex offender for many years due to her inaction to protect Tanya from this abuse. But again, this is more of a history related to Judy's behavior that I want you to keep in mind as we get further into the case. But according to those who knew her, we do know that Cassie's upbringing wasn't great. Ultimately, she would be separated from her father Roy who lived in Oklahoma while Judy raised Cassie in Stuttgart, Arkansas. According to Judy, Cassie suffered from some pretty intense allergies to things like milk, shrimp, and a large variety of trees. It was so bad that Judy actually described her daughter as a, quote, bubble child, end quote. In addition to these severe allergies, she stated that Cassie also had pretty intense mood swings. She says that Cassie would regularly refuse to take her medication, and she believed that she was flushing it down the toilet. 
However, there are conflicting statements as to whether or not Cassie was actually diagnosed with any mental illness and if she was prescribed any medication for it. But according to Judy, this combination of these mood swings and her allergies ultimately resulted in Cassie being removed from public school and being homeschooled. However, Cassie is also described as being a loving, caring girl who loved animals and played the flute, saxophone, and clarinet extremely well. She was also fiercely independent. By the year 2014, Cassie was 15 years old, and she lived with her mother Judy Compton and Judy's fiancé Brandon Lee Rhodes in Stuttgart, Arkansas. And Cassie would often walk around the small town at night, and she would spend days away from her family home, preferring to stay most often with her friend Hunter and his mother. When Hunter's mother Tracy spoke with HLN shortly after Cassie went missing, she discussed how she now felt that her home was probably a safe haven for Cassie. I know this is so difficult for you because you really got close to this young lady. Apparently, she would spend, this, this girl, this missing girl Cassie, would spend a lot of time weekends over at your house. Why is that? Why was she spending the nights on the weekends over at your house? Well, um, looking back now, I think um, we were her safe haven. We were a place for her to stay and know she was safe and taken care of. Well, safe haven from what? Just um, from things that she was having to deal with. What, in the home or, or outside the home? We, uh, we believe there were some, some issues in the home that she wasn't happy with and that she just wanted to, to get out and, and just be a 15-year-old without having to deal with anything like that. I feel like I grew up with girls just like Cassie. In a sense, I feel like I was very similar to Cassie. From what I could gather, she did a lot of what she wanted with very little supervision. And it's not like she had to hide it. Like I mentioned, she stayed out of her home when she wanted to and was allowed to do things like openly smoke cigarettes at the age of 15 in front of her mother and her mother's fiancé, Brandon. But at the same time, she would leave this environment where she had all of this freedom to stay with her friend Hunter and his family, where they would do cool things like go to the demolition derby and have family brunch. Again, this is speculation on my part, but it seemed like given the circumstances, Cassie was a pretty good kid who was just trying to navigate being a teenager and her home life. And although Cassie's brother Chris wasn't living in the home at the time, she did confide in him that one reason her home life wasn't so great was because she didn't get along with her mother's fiancé, Brandon. They'd fight all the time and they wouldn't get along and she didn't want to be around him. Ultimately, many people believe that Brandon Lee Rhodes was the last person to see Cassie Compton. This is based off of eyewitness testimony from her best friend Hunter and conflicting statements from Judy. Which brings me to the weekend of September 13th, 2014. One big challenge in covering Cassie's case is that although we are steadily creeping up on the 10-year anniversary of her disappearance, very little about this case has been released to the public by police or the Compton family. And there are several conflicting statements about what happened on the night that Cassie went missing. 
But in my research, I found that a local news station in Arkansas called KATV did some amazing coverage on Cassie's case, including an eight-part podcast series called Timeline, The Disappearance of Cassie Compton. It's hosted by journalist Kayla Lafferty, who was able to obtain some amazing interviews with both law enforcement and Cassie's family which is where I obtained a good amount of information from these key players. Unfortunately, I was unable to reach Cassie's family for comment. So if you find yourself wanting to go deep down the rabbit hole on this one, which if you're anything like me, you just might, I definitely recommend checking out all eight episodes about Cassie over on their podcast. But let's get to what we know about this timeline. On Saturday, September 13th, 2014, at approximately 1.30 p.m., Cassie's friend Hunter drove from his house in the next town over to pick up Cassie at her home in Stuttgart. From there, they went back to Hunter's house to meet up with his mother, Tracy. Around 3.30 p.m., all of them go to the DeWitt Derby. After that, all three return back home to Hunter's mom's house and Cassie stays the night. The next day, on Sunday, September 14th, It was kind of a lazy day, so they woke up and had brunch at about 12.30pm. And Hunter and Cassie just kind of hang out for the rest of the day. According to Tracy, Hunter left their home to drive Cassie home at about 6.05pm. And he returned back home by 6.45pm. Which was about the typical drive time given that they were in the next town over. A few minutes after Cassie is dropped off, she actually texts Hunter and she says that she's going out to buy a pack of cigarettes. And Cassie has never been seen or heard from again. But what happened in between Cassie getting home, sending this text, and vanishing is where this story gets really confusing. So, instead of dramatically timing out these statements to shock you throughout the episode, I just want to explain all of the different versions and who they came from right here. Cassie's mother, Judy, states that she was extremely ill this night. So, Judy says that she's in bed near the back of the house. She hears Cassie come in and hears her speak, but she never sees her. According to Judy, Brandon starts making dinner when Cassie gets home. But Cassie didn't want dinner, and was in the house for just a few minutes before Judy hears her grab something and then hears her leave. She then says that Brandon went outside to see what Cassie was doing, but Cassie was gone. Now, Brandon's story is similar to Judy's, but he says that he was in the back room with Judy the entire time, and never saw Cassie either, and he makes no mention of cooking dinner. But according to both Brandon and Judy, Cassie left home with only her phone no purse, and no EpiPen for her severe allergies. So, it doesn't appear that Cassie planned on being gone long. The issue is, private investigator Tina Source and Hunter's mom Tracy dispute these statements. According to this private investigator, Judy told her some conflicting stories. She says that Judy did tell her that Cassie came home and was there for just a few minutes before she left. But here is where we get the two different versions in addition to Judy's original statement. Version 1 has Brandon and Cassie arguing over the type of cigarettes that Brandon had, with Cassie complaining that she couldn't smoke them. Then, Brandon goes to the bathroom, and when he gets out, Cassie is gone. 
so he makes dinner, assuming that Cassie would be back soon, but of course, she never returns. The second version is a little scarier. Now, this private investigator, Tina, says that the other version that she heard from Judy was that Brandon actually left at the same time as Cassie to get cigarettes. She wanted her brand of cigarettes, and he wanted to get more tobacco to roll his own. But according to Judy, they don't go together. But Brandon takes Judy's car and is gone for hours. And when he gets back, he is apparently extremely ill and spends quite a while in the bathroom. I have seen things come up about Cassie not being able to buy cigarettes because she was 15, which is valid. But to that, I want to remind everyone that not every establishment follows those guidelines. And I can't confirm for Stuttgart, Arkansas, but I can tell you in Phoenix, it was not hard to get cigarettes as a 15-year-old girl. You didn't have to know someone, you didn't have to have a fake ID, there were always a few places that would sell to kids underage. So although it is a valid concern to wonder how Cassie was getting cigarettes being 15 years old, I think we need to keep that in consideration as well. In every version of the timeline of Cassie going missing, Judy never sees Cassie or gets out of bed. But according to Cassie's best friend Hunter, there was a pretty major part of this timeline that no one was talking about. Here is Hunter's mother talking about what Hunter told her, and about the three phone calls she received from Brandon on the night that Cassie went missing. Now, here's the mother's boyfriend speaking to the media about Cassie's disappearance. It's a very short soundbite, so listen carefully. She was gone like a whisper in the wind. So, uh, reports say Cassie's mother's boyfriend, the gentleman you just heard from, called you, uh, Tracy, the night that Cassie vanished. What did he have to say? I mean, what, what was the conversation that night? Well, there was um, three phone calls. They started about 9.14 that night, and he first asked if Cassie was still at our house. And coming through the conversations and getting Hunter, um, Hunter's input during this phone call, the first phone call. That's your son. That um, Cassie's mom's boyfriend actually saw Cassie get out of his truck, walk up the driveway. She did not speak to the mom's boyfriend and at all when she was walking up the driveway and she went into the house. So I brought that up to him and told him that he seen him get out of my son's, or seen Cassie get out of my son's vehicle. So he knew she was no longer with him or with us. And I kept repeating to him through these three phone calls, go to the police department, go to the police department or call the police and report her missing. Um, in the third third phone call he said that he did he went to the police department and they told him that it would be a 72 hour wait that morning monday morning when um i got to work i called and spoke with a detective and he said there was actually no report filed and he came and spoke Whoa. to me and we filed the missing report on monday in addition to tracy reporting cassie missing the Stuttgart Police Department did go to Cassie's home to speak with Judy as well. The police report is five lines long and reads, quote, September 15, 2014, I met a Miss Judy Compton. She stated that her daughter left her house between 6.45 and 7 p.m. on September 14, 2014, and has not returned, 
Cassie Compton is a 15-year-old with blonde hair and blue eyes, approximately 100 pounds, also has a scar on her left cheek. Subject was last seen wearing a blue tank top and teal plaid shorts. Miss Compton states that her daughter has been diagnosed with a mental disorder, possibly bipolar, end quote. At this time, Mark Duke was a lieutenant with the Stuttgart police. He's actually chief now, but he was first on the scene along with one other officer. He'd actually been to the home before for an unrelated incident, so he was somewhat familiar with the Compton family. He told KATV News that he initially thought that Cassie could have just gotten angry and left, but soon he realized that wasn't the case. A be-on-the-lookout alert was issued for Cassie, but there would be no formal search for her for days. So all we really know at this point is that Cassie is gone and her phone is with her. We also have a description of what Cassie was last wearing. But even though that description is in the police report, remember, Judy never even saw Cassie that night. And I couldn't find anything about where this description actually came from. So I think we need to take it with a grain of salt. But in addition to the blue top and plaid shorts, there are also reports that she was wearing blue and gray cowboy boots with a 2 to 3 inch heel on them. This description will be important to remember as we learn more about the case. But around the 72-hour mark, there is finally a formal search for Cassie. According to Chief Duke, the search involved state agents, FBI agents, human trafficking specialists, and dogs. He also says that they searched miles and miles of countryside, but there was no trace of Cassie. A few weeks after Cassie goes missing, the police have both Judy Compton and Brandon Lee Rhodes take polygraph tests, and they both fail. I couldn't find a statement about Brandon's test, but Judy did say that she believed she failed her test due to a pain patch she was wearing for her arthritis. Around this same time, Brandon and Judy broke off their two-year engagement. Judy would later tell KATV News that it was because Brandon was stealing from her. And in 2015, she and her son Chris made a public statement that they do believe that Brandon may have been involved in Cassie's disappearance. But again, after searching for Cassie for months at this point now, there was absolutely no sign of her. They did trace her cell phone, but specific information about pings have not been released to the public. Throughout the investigation, there have been some interesting developments. The first being a man who came forward, stating that he found a blue and gray women's boot in a field within the search area for Cassie. This man immediately called the police and Chief Duke did collect the boot as evidence. But when he showed a picture of the boot to Cassie's mother, Judy, she said that it wasn't her daughter's and that she owned nothing like it. However, the boot does match that description of what Cassie was wearing the night she went missing. So, although Cassie's mother denies it to be hers, Chief Duke has stated that he wants to send the boot off for DNA testing to confirm. Unfortunately, the result of that testing, or if it even happened, has not been released to the public. There was also a tip given to the Stuttgart Police Department about Cassie being possibly run over by a car at a party and then being buried in a field near where the party was. And yes, the boot was found not too far from this area. 
But according to KATV News, this field is on private property and has never actually been searched. Now, Chief Duke did come out and say that this is actually because the state police have asked him to hold off until they can further allocate resources and go out there to assist them with the search. But when Chief Duke spoke to KATV News in 2019, it had actually been two years since he was told that. And again, no information that this search was actually conducted has been released to the public. We also have a pretty scary incident being reported by the private investigator, Tina. Now, Tina says that a part of her job is to scour through porn and escort sites looking for underage girls in hope of retrieving them safely. And one day while she was doing that, she saw a girl that looked eerily similar to Cassie. So similar that an entire sting operation was set up to meet the girl. But according to Tina, when the police meet up with this girl, she handed them an ID with the name Brittany on it, and they let her go. She wasn't photographed, she wasn't fingerprinted, and she wasn't detained. Now, Tina does admit that this girl didn't have the same scar on her left cheek like Cassie did, but she argues that these things can be easily covered up or removed. And she remains confident that that was, in fact, Cassie. Outside of these leads about Cassie, I think an interesting fact to consider is that according to Chief Duke, the only missing persons case he could recall in his entire time working for the Stuttgart Police Department was Cassie Compton. This is until 40-year-old Michelle Owens went missing just a few months later. Michelle was last seen on April 21st, 2015 at the Kiwi Car Wash. This is at the intersection of East 13th Street and South Main Street in Stuttgart, Arkansas. Michelle's family has described her as mentally slow and stated that she was extremely dependent on others. She was usually in contact with someone from their family almost every single day. So they insist that there's simply no way that Michelle could have just left on her own accord. And Michelle's case remains unsolved to this day. However, Chief Duke does not believe that they are related in any way, and I have nothing to prove that they are either. I just personally find it kind of odd that in this entire time of moving from officer to sergeant to police chief, there are only two missing persons cases in this town. And let me tell you why I think it's odd. Let's take a moment to look at Stuttgart, Arkansas. Now, the city itself has just under 9,000 people in it. However, I think it's important to note that from November to January is duck hunting season. And according to Arkansas.com and Chief Duke, Stuttgart is actually the duck and rice capital of the world. Now, I know nothing about hunting or ducks or rice, but apparently the abundance of rice brings the ducks and the duck hunters. And there's a competition that brings in close to 20,000 people from all over the world, many of them flying on private jets and personal planes. Which, to me, sounds like a perfect scenario for sex trafficking. So I don't think we can rule out that both Cassie and Michelle may have been abducted and later sold into sex trafficking when the town was expecting its wave of wealthy visitors from all over the world in their private jets. But that is just a theory. 
And of course, I think we need to look a little bit further into Judy's fiance, Brandon, who around 2018, so four years after Cassie went missing, starts getting in some pretty hot water with police. Now, Brandon has a long and sordid history with law enforcement and has been arrested several times in his life, mostly for theft and drug-related charges. But like so many things in this case, the exact details surrounding those charges are extremely difficult to confirm through valid sources. Even the reporter from KATV News who produced the podcast about Cassie was only able to confirm Brandon's 2018 charges through a colleague at her station doing some digging. But on October 16th, 2018, Brandon Lee Rhodes was pulled over by police in Independence County, Arkansas. But when the officer asks him for his license, he hands him a state ID card. This is because his license was in fact suspended. So Brandon is promptly arrested. And during this time while they're arresting Brandon, the police realize that the back window of the car was actually broken out. And there was a military-style bag laying in the front passenger seat. This bag contained an AK-15 rifle that was loaded with a 27-round magazine. There was also a gas mask, a military-style ghillie suit, goggles, a knife with a 9-inch blade, and a helmet. These items were reportedly stolen from the home of a person Brandon was staying with at the time. And Brandon does change his story a few times here, but he basically said that he was paid $200 to follow a man's wife. There's really no other details given for this story, but obviously it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I feel like dressing up in an actual military ghillie suit would make you stand out so much more. But again, he tells another story. This time, he says he was actually just pretending to be a hitman even accepting money for a job. But he says that he never planned on going through with it. And you guys, here is the kicker. Brandon says that the reason that he did all of this, the reason he was pretending to be a hitman, was so that he would be arrested and finally be safe. Because he says he was experiencing severe harassment regarding his possible involvement in the Cassie Compton case. So upon figuring out that Brandon is in the Independence County Jail on charges for conspiracy to commit capital murder, among other things, this journalist, Kayla Lafferty, writes him a letter. And he responds by writing, quote, I am willing to do whatever it takes to bring closure to Judy, and once and for all put this Cassie case to a close. There's only so much a man can keep bottled up inside of him. It's time the truth was presented to everyone. End quote. And at this point, Kayla is all in. And after a while of back and forth with Brandon and the jail, both Kayla and the PI Tina go out to the jail to speak with him. And they do speak with Brandon for two hours. But he insists that they don't record. According to Kayla and Tina... Brandon is kind of all over the place. He insists that he never saw Cassie that night and says that they could easily check Judy's car to see if he drove that night because she had a monitoring device in the car from her insurance company. 
But he also says that he understands what Cassie might have gone through on the night she went missing because he has also experienced trauma like that. But again, quickly insists that he had nothing to do with it and that Cassie's mother, Judy, didn't either. However, when they bring up the blue and gray boot that was found, Brandon immediately lights up and he tells them that Cassie definitely had boots matching that description. He also tells them that when he's released, he will be able to tell them everything, and that he will find them to do so. But when Kayla goes to Chief Duke about this information, he kind of just laughs it off. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't just say, but yeah, that, uh, that's a unique individual. In a recent interview with KATV, Judy Compton now states that she doesn't believe that Brandon Lee Rhodes could be involved in her daughter's disappearance, but her son Chris remains adamant that he could have been, and it looks like if Brandon is only willing to come out with what he knows when he's released, that we will be waiting for quite some time, because according to the Arkansas Department of Corrections, he is currently serving a 10-year prison sentence for his crimes. Unfortunately, that's where Cassie's case is today. On September 14th, 2020, the six-year anniversary of Cassie's disappearance, over 100 people came together at the Stuttgart Police Department for a candlelit vigil for both Cassie Compton and Michelle Owens. The Stuttgart Police Department told KATV that both cases are still very active, and they continue to pursue leads as they get them. Which brings me to our call to action. I couldn't exclude Michelle Owens from our call to action. And although I wish I had more insight into both of these cases to better understand how to best assist them, Sharing their stories and their pictures seems like a great place to start. Michelle Owens was 40 years old when she went missing and would be 46 years old today. She is African American with black hair and brown eyes, and is 5 foot 6 inches tall. At the time of her disappearance, she weighed 120 pounds. Michelle also wears eyeglasses and has a large overbite. She was last seen wearing rainbow-colored clothing. Cassie Compton was 15 years old when she went missing and would be 22 years old today. She has blue eyes, and when she went missing, her hair was dyed blonde. She weighed 100 pounds and was 5 foot 3 inches tall. Cassie also has a scar on the left side of her face and a very distinct dark birthmark that looks like a sideways heart on her upper left arm. If you have any information about Cassie or Michelle, please call the Stuckart Police Department at 870-673-1414. But as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney. For more information about the podcast, to suggest a case, to see resources used for this episode, and to find out more about how to help the cases I discuss, visit voicesforjusticepodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast player. 
it really does help more people find the podcast and these cases in need of justice. 